What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of The Bounce, episode 7, with myself, Amil Sarfani, and our co-host, Rob Gerard. Uh, this is the first episode of 2022, so we're excited to be here. Welcome into our sports card show. <laughs> What's up? Thanks. Thank you to everyone who's tuning in tonight. Really, really appreciate you. Happy New Year. Uh, it's it's uh, exciting times. Uh, my New Year was very boring. Uh, and uh, we have with us our co-host, Rob Gerard. I hope you had a more exciting New Year than I did. Uh, how you doing, bud? Ah, Mel. Ah, Mel. What's going on, man? I am doing phenomenal. Um, I know that you did not come to New York uh, like you had uh, discussed doing. Um, but yeah, man, kind of a low key New Year's for sure. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think with everything going on in the world, it just kind of makes sense for it to be that way. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. And honestly, like the week before New Year's, uh, I kind of figured that this was going to happen. But uh, COVID has been running rampant in my family. So everyone's getting it. My sister or my sister, my brother-in-law, my cousin, my wife got it. Uh, the day before we were supposed to leave for New York, uh, my wife tested positive. And so decided to cancel it probably for the best. I also, um, opened up our co-working space that I've been working on for about a year and a half. Uh, uh, so that's been exciting and, and we're opening up, we opened up today so today was day one january 3rd 2022 and i just didn't want to be sick for it i've got like our franchise zor that we're working with um on the corporate side they sent us some train you know they sent us some people to come train uh do some on-site stuff with us i it was day one of my for my community manager uh her day one of starting so like i just didn't want to risk not being there and so it ended up working out but my wife went back to her uh, hometown because her mom had COVID. So I said, just, just go spend some time with your mom. And, and, uh, and that gives a, a good excuse for you to go home. And I chilled out and, uh, watched Beanie Mania <laughs> on HBO Max. There's a, there's a documentary on HBO Max called Beanie Mania. And so my 2020, my ringing in the new year was basically watching, uh, was watching that documentary. And I felt like it was somewhat, Prescient with uh, what we talk about here in sports cards, obviously very different, but you know, it's coming from a collector's mindset. And so I thought it would be interesting to watch it. Uh, oh, that's the Beanie Baby documentary. The Beanie Babies documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's crazy because I never really caught on with the Beanie Baby phase. I mean, you know, the craze like in the 90s, but my wife still has some of her old Beanie Babies. My buddy Ken, shout out to KC Cardworks on Instagram. He was a big collectibles guy. I think he still owns a ton of Beanie Babies in storage. Like, And I think, you know, almost like junk wax, people really assumed that they were going to be really valuable one day and they were super collectible, you know. And, and I think looking back, we see a lot of things that we kept in hopes that they were going to be valuable and ended up not being valuable. And I wonder what we're collecting now that we'll look back on years from now and be like, we thought that was going to be worth money. I hope it's not our cards. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, it's kind of funny watching it and there are like weird parallels to it where a lot of the things that are being said, you hear, you hear right now in our, in our market, you know what I'm saying? And so it does make you take a step back and be like, all right, obviously Beanie Babies are a purely manufactured like hype market, whereas sports cards are at least based on sports. So there's like some underlying backing to it. But uh, but Beanie Babies were literally started, were like the hype was driven by three women in Naperville, Ohio. You know, it's weird. It was, a, it was a, an interesting documentary to watch, but that's what my New Year's was. Awesome. Yeah, I will definitely, uh, definitely check that out because I'm definitely always looking for awesome documentaries. I like more of true crime and murder documentaries, but (laughs) I'll definitely check that out though. Um, But yeah, so my New Year's was quiet, but what I do want to talk about is January 2nd, 2022. We had a huge show um, right over the border of Connecticut in Springfield, Mass. It was a huge show. 
Um, there were 200 vendors there. It was put on, it was called the New England Card Show. It was put on by Primetime Sports Cards. And uh, wow, they knocked it out the park. And and I had prime location of where the table was and uh, just had an incredible, incredible time. It was it was great, you know, and, and, and I think they're supposed to be doing this quarterly now so hopefully they're going to be doing it every three months because let me tell you something if they have a show of this magnitude every three months i really feel like it could turn into like dallas or or the hofstra show in in long island which is called the east coast national you know because that's quarterly you know so you, you see some of these quarterly shows i mean this is the absolute venue for it it was unbelievable how big this place was and uh and just you know the the kind of cards that were coming through there um the buzz you know and obviously with covid ramped up it was a little nerve-wracking but luckily though the 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 it was inside like a banquet hall arena. So the ceilings had, there had to, there must've been like 60 or 70 foot ceilings. I'm not kidding. Hmm. It was mat. The space was massive. Every, I would say 95% of people were masked up, including the K uh, nine fives, the N nine five masks, you know? So it's like everyone was super masked up. Um, so it was, it was pretty cool though. What nice. an event, man. Uh, what makes shows better than other shows? Like why, what what are the types of things that that go into that that's a great question man and uh you know first of all i have a pretty prime location here in connecticut so i've been doing shows anywhere from massachusetts rhode island new york new jersey so really i i i feel like i do have somewhat of my finger on the pulse and what i would say are there's probably like three main factors that immediately jump out to me right and that's obviously um, the, the venue, right? So how easy is it to get to the places that I've seen that are immediately off the highway do seem to be much bigger and much busier. So the location, the venue, um, I think the amount of promotion that goes into it too. Some of these shows that I see, I think, I think a lot is, can be said for just maybe paying for some sponsored Instagram posts for some of these things or sponsored Facebook posts. Um, you know, and, and also one thing I'm seeing is that really brings people in is getting celebrity guests there, even if they're not necessarily A-list celebrities, because you can still get like a, sh a starting point guard on an NBA team for probably like five grand. Hmm. You know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying he's an all-star, but he might be a starter though. You well, might be able to get. A, a, a no-name starter for five grand and if it's a local team and you're having it locally he's a big obviously everyone knows your local players even if they're not all-stars so was there I someone at this one no there actually was not anyone at this one um was there I don't think so. I don't think there was anyone there, but I know that Golden was there. JSA was there doing authenticating. Uh, Costa Cards was there. So there was definitely some big names, uh, you know, in the industry that were there, you know, and I know um, uh, they're talking about doing a, a trade night. We were going to do a trade night actually the night before, which would have been New Year's night, but um, that didn't happen. But I think they're talking about doing a trade night next go round and i think i'm probably going to be playing a pretty big role in that like whether if it's like you know sitting on like a i don't know a panel or doing something Ooh. on stage or something but but yeah but it should be pretty big and i think they're supposed to be doing it at the mgm casino in springfield which is a massive thing so um you know the the promoter definitely is is, is very goal oriented which is awesome prime time entertainment primetime sports cards here in connecticut so it's pretty cool it's pretty good to see man you know and the energy I, was good like there was a lot of people there oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah and i tell you it seems like literally 50 percent of the people that walk through the door are bringing their cards with them to trade and sell and think about that 50 percent one out of every two people are coming in with a briefcase that that is a ton so, you know, I love setting up, man. I love there, setting up. Are there too many sellers versus buyers? Or do you think, like, is there still deals getting done? Or is there still cards being bought? Like, it still feels good from that, that oh, yeah. transaction volume? 
Definitely, definitely. Yep. Now, would sellers be selling more if people weren't bringing their own cards? Probably. But I tell you what, I, I, I don't mind it at all. I love when a buyer brings his own cards because I want them to get the full experience. I want them to be able to bring their collection. Also, if I'm selling for the entire show and I'm just standing behind a table, I don't have time to like go shop around. So yeah, it's kind of nice that people if, bring you cards. If someone's bringing me cards and they're like, Hey, do you buy, do you sell, do you trade? Like, I'm like, yeah, I do all that. Let's, let's see what you got for sure. I love it. I enjoy just looking at cards just like, you know, because I'm yeah. a collector first. I also think the misconception is that people who bring cards are there and actively selling. Look, it's really hard to sell your cards if you're not set up. Like definitely. What are you doing? Walking around with your briefcase open and trying to, sh it's really tough. You don't actually sell cards. Even if you bring your cards, you're typically bringing your cards to trade. If anything, I mean, yeah, definitely. Only, you can only effectively sell if you're like behind the table, you know, a hundred percent, hundred percent. But, uh, but let me tell you, man, I had just, just real quick and then we can move on because we're already almost 12 minutes into this. I had some amazing pickups this week, man. And I don't want to dominate this first section of the part of the show, but man, I got to tell you. So, um, you know, if, if you follow me on Instagram, I think you saw, I was able to pull the trigger on the 1951 Bowman Mickey Mantle, which is my grail card, man. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you for giving me the Arsenio Hall. Thank you. That's oh. sick. Dude. That's, that's an exciting yeah. feeling. Yeah, mm. man. There Beautiful she is. Card. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you. So, so got that. And then, so I got that in the mail probably about four days ago. And then I was able to pull the trigger on this as well, which is pretty cool. Got the Brady Bowman Gem Mint 9, BGS 9.5 Bowman Rookie. And I tell you what, I, I really took a page out of your book with that because you know, I mean, I've always known that there, the value between the 9.5 and the PSA 10, but when you went to the Dallas Card Show and you were actively looking for that LeBron first print tops rookie, was that, was mm -hmm. that what's called the first print or first, first edition. edition? First mm -hmm. edition. And you were really breaking down the value, I think, at that time. A PSA 10 was around 20, but a BGS 9.5 was around 10, right? A true gem. I mean, I could have gotten a true gem for 10 and the PSA 10 was selling for 18. My God, man. Yeah. And, and, and so the true gem means all four categories are nine, five, all four category, all four subgrades are nine, five. And then if any of them are nine fives or better. So if there's a, a 10 or a couple yeah. tens, it's a true gem plus or a true gem plus plus if there's two tens and two nine fives, but yeah. Love it, man. Love it. So yeah, at the show, I picked up uh, a, a 1961 Bill Russell, fell in love with that. A 1952 Phil Rizzuto, fell in love with that. Man, I am on such a vintage kick lately, man. I just want to truly buy up as much vintage as I can. I, I, I tell you what I have my sights on. I really have my sight on... Uh, on trying to get a Babe Ruth, one of the one of the Gaudi baseball cards. Yeah, um, nice. Very rare, very expensive, you know. But um, but I would love to, man. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at, though. Uh, what about you? Had did you in the last week make any plays, make any pickups, sales, anything? I've been selling. I've been selling a lot. I've been consolidating. I'm and and, and we'll get into it. Let's let's get into our 2022 process here. Yeah, because yeah. Today's yeah. episode is about. Uh, you know, the the last episode we came out with uh, right after Christmas was our 2021 kind of recap look back, um, which is a fun episode. Go, you know, go listen to that if you haven't. Uh, by the way, you can find this show on the sports car on the Slab Talk feed on YouTube and on podcasts. Uh, and you can follow both of us on Instagram at the Slab Talk for me and at Sports Car Therapist for Rob. Don't forget that those you know give us follows there and uh, and again do hit the subscribe button. Um, but the today's episode is about our 2022 future outlook. So let's get into it. And, and the question you asked me was one: Have I been selling? What have I been doing in the last couple of weeks? But what am I really planning for? What's the next thing here? Um, and for me, like I have been selling a lot over the last two weeks. Um, and the idea behind selling is I go through this 
there's this urge that kind of hits me every six months or so just to kind of turn my collection. It's what keeps me interested in the hobby. It's what keeps me looking at new cards. It's something that's been, I realized over the last two years is very important to my process is uh, to just kind of turn my collection. And as you know, I don't like, I don't buy a lot. I, I, I buy in, you know, pretty intentionally and I'm, I'm trying to go after very specific things. Um, and so I'm not always buying and I'm trying to do that even more of, of the not always buying kind of mentality. Um, so I've been selling, I sold my Nike, I sold my 1985 Michael Jordan Nike promo in a PSA nine. I have the PSA 10. I sold the PSA nine and actually the PSA nine was one of those cards. I bought very, very close to the peak. So I was not happy about that, about my timing on the card, but I realized I have the 10, the nine is still worth $3,000. Uh, and I wanted to open up some cash. And so I sold that one uh, for a pretty big loss actually, but I sold it to open up the $2,800. So I sold that one. Um, I sold, I did sell my, my Damian Lillard, my 2019 Panini uh, one and one. That was Damian beautiful. Lillard Lillard. Yeah. PSA nine with a 10 auto again, not, you know, it wasn't something I was trying to sell, but I put it up on eBay for $5,500. Um, someone bought it full price. And wow. I paid $3,700 for the raw card. I paid $150 to grade it. Came back a PSA 9. I think it should have been a PSA 10. Um, but it came back a PSA 9 and I sold it for $5,500. So that's a nice $1,000 profit I'll take. Um, and again, trying to figure out what my next piece of this is. Um, so that's what I've been doing over the last week. Um, but the next question really is, is, is what, what are we building up towards here? Let so, me jump. Let me jump in real quick. So yep. let me just say something funny about Amel. Okay, is is he talks about how he wants to sell some cards because he does want to have some money ready just in case something pops up. Boom! He wants to be able to jump on it. Right? Smart. Right? I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? Right? It takes some discipline, but who wouldn't want to do that? So Amel starts the process of doing that, <laughs> and within like twenty. So we're in a group text. We're in a group chat. And within like 24 hours of, of making the sale, he's already looking at new cards. He's already looking to spend well, all the money. I almost re I almost re I almost spent it all. I opened up over the last all over the last two to three weeks, I've opened up like ten to fifteen thousand dollars. And wow. literally someone reached out with some really cool Tim Duncan cards. And I almost bit on it yeah. and they're all cool cards and I probably should buy them. Like they're cool cards. Like, don't get me wrong. They're worth it. Um, but I'm trying really hard to practice. And I will say this, this is where this next move of mine is inspired by. I did an interview uh, a few months back with, uh, Josh at cardboard chronicles, yep. card ladder co-founder, very, very big name in the hobby. Super knowledgeable, man. Very Josh, knowledgeable. Josh is like, and, and Chris too, they're encyclopedias when it comes to this hobby. And very generous with their time and knowledge, like a lot of the guys at the top, which we, you know, which I very much appreciate. Mm -hmm. um, and he at one point came on the show and I, I asked him how he got into his big LeBron James card, the 2003 uh, Upper Deck Exquisite uh, uh, card that he RPA. You know, number to 23. RPA, beautiful, you know, the LeBron James card. Um, and he bought that for somewhere in the $190,000 range. If I don't, if I, if I'm remembering correctly, and again, I'd have to go back and listen to that episode, but I asked him how he got himself to like get that card. And he said he hadn't actually, the, the process of buying that card was not a, a gradual step up in comfortability of card value. It was he was buying five, ten thousand, maybe even fifteen thousand dollar cards, and then all of a sudden he bought a hundred ninety thousand dollar card, and it was one of those things where it was like, oh, like he took a massive step without playing in the middle all so much. Like he just went directly to the top, and it came from discipline. It came from waiting. It came from being patient and finding the right deal, and all those types of things. And I think that's where my head's at, not to go after that big of a card, but to practice the idea of build up some capital, wait for the cards that you really, really look at as high end collectible pieces and make a move on one of those as my next move. And that may mean I don't make a move for a little bit. Like I may not be the most active buyer over the next few months, um, 
But I think I'm okay with that because my process is changing. The things I'm interested in are changing a little bit. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to test out that theory. But it's really hard because I literally almost spent $8,000 the day after I sold $10,000 worth of cards. So, so, so let, let me ask you, though. Is, is there part of you that feels like like even though that theory and that idea is a good idea, like now is probably not the best time to be selling. I like the market is down, even though, right. We all know the high end market it usually doesn't really go down, but the high end markets kind of stabilized. So wouldn't it have been smarter to hold the Nike promo PSA nine? And I'm, I know it's a dangerous game when you're kind of like waiting for the market to go back up because you could be waiting forever. But you know what I mean? If prices are down, why not hold? Because that takes some discipline in itself to hold. It does. You're right. And it's a good point. And only time will tell. Like if a month from now, the PSA nine is a $4,000 card instead of a $3,000 card. Yeah, sure. Like let's have the conversation then of how dumb I am, you know, but if in a month that card's a $2,000 card instead of a $3,000 card, well, that will have said something else. At the end of the day, it, who knows? And you just got to make the decisions that feel right in the moment. And yeah. in the moment, I was ready to move on that card. And I'm ready to move on several other cards. And I'm ready to put myself in a position to go after something bigger. I you're right. Maybe I should hold until I'm, I found the card. Maybe I should hold until I really found the card and then go after it. In my experience, what ends up happening in, from a mental standpoint is that I don't even look for the cards if I don't have, if I don't have the cash. Like If I'm not ready to buy, I typically don't even look for those types of cards. So by having liquidity, I'm putting myself in a position to, 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 to foster some mental energy towards that high-end, big purchase, or whatever collectible card I go after next. But that's just how it works for me. Again, that's how my brain works. Is like, if I don't have it, I'm just going to keep putting it off, you know? And so I'm just trying to build up my, my, my war chest right now. And you know what? I'm not really mad at that whole way of thinking because I've always been of the belief like, um, like God isn't going to send uh, Miss Right in your life if you have Miss Wrong in the passenger seat next to you. You know, if, if that seat is already filled, you know, Miss Wright might come along and you might not even see her. So God, that's a great, great analogy. Yeah. So so I, I think I do. I, you know, I definitely see that line of thinking. So I'm, I am curious, though, because you already have a LeBron on card auto rookie. Beautiful card. Is it a is it a nine? Oh, it's a nine five. Nine five. That's true right. Gem. So you you have a yes. true gem, LeBron on card rookie. I mean, that's a card that I would love to have one day. I know I've talked about it before. So you already have a card of that magnitude. Do you have an idea of what that next? Because you're talking a lot about you know maybe acquiring a bigger card at some point. Do you have like one or two specific in mind? So I've been. I, I am really in a weird spot in terms of where I'm at with my card collecting. Like I, I'm still, I'm trying to figure out the next thing that kind of inspires me, I guess is the, is the process that I'm in right now. And I'll be pretty transparent about that. Like I don't really know what I want next, but when I look at things that I keep coming back to, and that's typically where I try to focus my energy is like, try to be aware of the things that I continue to go back and look at, because although I may not be actively buying, I do look at cards every single day. I can, still can, I get, can I guess the, the guys you keep going back to, sure. I, I have a feeling that it's either the person you're thinking is either Curry or Durant. Durant's been on my mind so much lately. Durant has been Curry is too hot right now. So Curry, I've almost put out of my mind as much as I want to buy Curry cards. Yeah. It's like, I just know it's the wrong time to be buying Curry cards right now. So I've, I've, I've turned my mind off of Curry cards, but Durant's been on my mind a lot. So I did look at a Durant on card auto, um, that I really like, uh, the, the 2007 chronology set, which is very similar actually to the 2019 Panini one and one set, because especially the timeless moments, the timeless moments, by the way, if you're going back and looking at 
where these cards come from. And a lot of this stuff is replicated from sets in the past um, yeah. and used as inspiration. And so the, the Timeless Moments Panini 1-in-1 set is very similar to the 2007 Chronology Timeless Memories set, which is the famous uh, Michael Jordan, you know, jumping from the free throw line, tongue out picture as well. And that's a that's an iconic card. That's an on-card Michael Jordan card, and that set is highly coveted. Um, but the whole set, the whole 2007 chronology set, is obviously Kevin Durant's rookie year. So that's one card I've been looking at. ton of other Kevin Durant cards. Um, but the collectability piece for Durant continues to bother me. Um, and I don't know if he's undervalued or properly valued. I can't figure that out because I do believe that Kevin Durant has a slight collectability problem. Um, and I'm trying to really think about that instead of the, which ones do I believe have true upside and value? It's like, do I believe he's got upside in collectability? So does he have, what's his version of a national treasures RPA? Like what's the go-to card? Is it the one you were just discussing? He's got an exquisite RPA. Um, it looks different. What, than that, what does that go for? Uh, I'd have to look it up. It's, Obviously, very expensive. His, I mean, high end stuff is 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 expensive, but relative to the high end stuff of Curry and LeBron, it's still less. Well, and, um, and that's what I'm thinking because, and I tell you, I just tried logging in the card ladder, but I've I've had my computer issue like crazy for the last like two two weeks, so none of my passwords were saved. I had to literally do a hard erase on my entire thing, so I can't. So even I'll tell really... you, I have it pulled up. Okay. His 2007. Can, can you do a screen share? I can't because I don't have a second monitor because I set oh. up my office at my new office space. <laughs> but okay. his 2007 exquisite collection, number to 99, it's an RPA, beautiful card, a BGS nine sold in May on May 23rd, 2021 for one hundred and sixty thousand okay. dollars. So, I mean, it's, it's an extremely valuable card, but I think Curry's uh, um, um, RPA goes for like over a million at this point. Um, and so, so to it, think that Durant is one tenth of Curry, it's just insane. And like one twentieth of, of LeBron, right? Like a, 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 the LeBron, which is number to 23. It's a little bit different, but that'll go for 2 million. Like I think 1.2 was the latest sale for one of his out of 23 RPAs, LeBron's RPAs. Uh, and again, I'd have to go back and look and just make sure. But um but yeah, it, it, I, I think it's undervalued. I do. But I don't know how to think about that sometimes. Um, mm. And I love Durant. I think he's absolutely the one of the most prolific scorers. I think that we are watching someone score the basketball in a way we've never seen anybody score basketball. Um, and I think that should, that should matter. I think that should matter. Yeah. Does it? Yeah, and it, it does. And it, it is crazy the way that uh, someone – off the court or off the field uh, can really truly dictate their prices. And I think that you do see that. And I keep on going back to this, but you do see that with Aaron Rodgers. You know, I think he just seems like a jerk off the field. Um, that's the only thing I can come up with. And you kind of see that with Russell Wilson. You know, I think Russell Wilson's kind of boring off the field, you know? So I think with those two guys, with how just incredible and dynamic they do play, um, you know, just it, it's, I'll give you an example of this. Like the, where I, my parallel to this goes to Shaq. Shaq has a huge personality, very, very relevant. He's on TNT's show. That is one of the most iconic sports shows, uh, in media. And Kevin Durant also, I think will have a very long and prolific and relevant media career after he is done playing basketball. Um, he's already got his like podcast mm -hmm. out. He's doing stuff. He, I know he's a huge investor in tech companies and, and he, he's like a real person outside of basketball. And he's talked about that and he's very, very active, but Shaq cards, to be honest, are not the most expensive things in the world. Like, yeah, but here's the thing though. Shaq is a victim of the junk wax era. I mean, you're right. So he, he listen, all his rookie cards go for $10 and that's because, of the, of the era, you know, now some of his inserts can be a little bit more pricey. And if you look at the insert sets, once you go past Jordan, 
really Shaq is probably the most expensive one out of some of those sets. So until but, 96 and Kobe shows up. Well, yeah, definitely. But yeah, so but when it comes to Shaq though, he's just a victim of the junk wax era. So uh, yeah, I think that's yeah. it's, you know, kind of hard. You're right. To, You're right. But, but someone like Shaq, I believe should be more collectible than someone like Durant, even though I think Durant is a more like Durant is such a fun guy to watch. Anyway, let's move on from Durant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it sounds like what you're doing is you're doing what a lot of people this year on the hobby really came to grips with. And that is the one word that I keep on hearing from people in the hobby and myself as well. I'm doing the same thing. It's consolidation, right? Consolidation. We're consolidating and we are trying to level up. And that's exactly yep. what I'm trying to do too, man. I am absolutely trying to accumulate as many five figure cards as I can. Right. And I'm what? not saying I have a ton of five figure cards and not even high five figure cards, but I'm just trying to get over that that hump of 10 grand and really trying to start accumulating cards from there. And and because I know eventually I will be able to maybe, you know, put my push my chips to the middle of the table and and, and acquire that six figure card. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what types of cards are you looking at or what is your 2021 outlook looking like right now i tell you um <clears throat> i think a big part of what i'm doing is I'm, I'm not really changing course that much so i'm definitely still going after goats you know but i think if you were to ask me what am i doing that's different than maybe like the three major sports um well first of all I'm definitely going hard with vintage. I just, my, my vintage, I'm really, and, and I know that's still the three major sports, but vintage, I am, I am full speed ahead with, with vintage moving forward. And I tell you some of these other sports, soccer, um, I I've, I've really gotten into, you know, Lionel Messi and just learning his market and knowing all about his, you know, 2004 mega cracks and the Panini stickers and, and, and how, what grades well, typically what doesn't, because some of these stickers and some of these thinner cards typically don't grade well. So even if you get a PSA five or a PSA six, that's still a really good grade for some of these things. So mm -hmm. kind of learning the market and whatnot. Um, but I know that my buddy Ken, shout out Casey Cardworks again, he is someone that he's big into the tennis cards and the golf cards. And I tell you, it's a small market, but those things move. If I'm set up with him at a show, people are, are drawn to those cards. If they, say it's, if they see a Serena rookie PSA 10, that thing hmm. is not staying put. So oh, it's interesting. Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. So I think there are other, you know, F1 I haven't really gotten into. I feel like I'm probably late to the game on that. Don't get me wrong. I bought a, I bought a bunch of Lewis Hamilton, but I moved them all. I've mm. As soon as I got them, I moved them because it's like people wanted them. So, but, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, vintage for me. And, and I think I want to continue with, uh, with uh, exploring the messy market. That's interesting. Um, and I want to get into some other sports as well, but let me ask you something. What do you think? Do you think there is any catalyst in 2022? Do you think there's anything that happens in 2022 that brings more people into the hobby again, that, that, that creates some sort of increase in activity from, um, from the standpoint that we saw kind of in 2019 and 2020? Uh, what does your 2022 outlook look like for the overall kind of hobby and sports card market? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, it's, it's, you know, no one can predict the future here, but um, I'll tell you one thing that I am really looking forward to seeing what the market does is before national and, and around national, right? And you could, if you want a pulse of the hobby of what's hot, what's not, and, and everything, it's all about gearing up for national, what you see at national, and then immediately afterward, it's almost like nationals, like the, the hobby's new year, right? Um, yeah. So, but that Netflix special with Ken Golden, that Netflix show, I really believe that after seeing what Netflix truly did for F1, if Netflix can make this Ken Golden show even close to as compelling as the F1 series that they did, I think you are going to see a, a another huge surge 
into the hobby, but I think it would be a different surge. I think it's going to be new people coming in rather than, I think in like 2019, what happened is you had a lot of people our age that collected when we were younger and then came back in. I think you're going to be seeing a whole new demographic and a whole new age range once this Ken Golden show comes. And that's what I'm hoping for, for the hobby. I mean, I want as many people in this hobby as possible. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think I agree with all that. Like, I don't know what the catalyst is other than that. I think if something surprising happened in one of the sports, some upset, some massive uh, sports outcome, or if LeBron wins his fifth ring and it and it and it takes off, or sorry, his yeah, his fifth ring and it takes off his market, and all of a sudden now you create more room, even though his market's already crazy high. I think if something like that happens, well, not recently, it hasn't been. I mean, it's high yeah, compared to, I guess, regular his, people, but, you know, regular players. But his his market has been – I mean, everyone's down. But even, everyone's even down someone down. like LeBron, the, yeah. the only one in the NBA I feel like that hasn't gone down is probably Curry. Yeah, well, Curry's honestly gone up because yeah. of how, how crazy this run is that he's on and, and the whole 29-47 three-pointers. And it's it's awesome. It's really, really cool. Um, and I'm happy for him, and, I'm, and, and, and I think he deserves it. I think he is absolutely legendary – and has the true collectible fan base that gives the perfect storm um, for his market, um, and it should be up, and it should be, it should be where it is. So, and I'm happy for you with that 48 Bowman card, the Curry. Oh my God, that thing is a beast. Yeah, Can't I'll take that. It? It? Huh? Is it a ten? Right? It's a ten. It's a ten. Isn't it? Isn't it terrible that I know your grades like just as well as you? <laughs> <sighs> I mean, I talk about them enough on this show, so, um, um. I want to bring up one more. Let me go back to the other sports because you brought that topic up and I do want to hit on it. I personally, like I watch basketball and football the most. Uh, I used to play tennis as when when I was growing up, I played a ton of tennis. Tennis is weird to me because I do think since I was a kid, I feel like tennis has, and maybe I'm wrong and maybe my tennis fans will hate me for this who are listening, but I feel like tennis has declined as a sport from a, from a viewership standpoint. I have no data to back that up. It's purely a feeling thing, but I feel like tennis for some reason hasn't, I, I don't think it's grown in popularity since I was a kid. I don't think it's grown as a sport necessarily. Now, can that change? Yes, obviously it can. Uh, but I think that comes from the fact that the three guys that were big when I was a kid are still the same three guys. You still have Federer and Nadal and Djokovic and there, I, I you know, again, I don't watch enough to know all the up and coming guys, but maybe if there's new faces to the sport, that could be a big kind of catalyst in getting a, another market like that up and going. Um, and then soccer, I think, is probably has like the largest upside. I think soccer with its large fan base, with how uh, with how uh, a strong the fans are of that sport and how crazy they are in terms of dedication. Uh, I think that's a sport that could potentially see uh, another kind of big influx of people into it. Um, yeah, and I think with soccer too, it's it's one of these things where American soccer—that's not really what people are collecting. You know, it's 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 what's going on over the pond. That's what people are collecting, and what's happening in Europe and following all those teams because it seems like that's truly where the stars are. I know my buddy, uh, you know, Craig, New York City Sports Cards. He is truly all in on this U.S. men's national team thing. He he is buying high. He's like, listen, I'm, I'm buying. I'm buying in. I'm buying in. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, and I'm That's like, good. I'm like, okay, I guess so. I, I mean, might be a bust. I don't know. I mean, I haven't really heard anything about, you know, U.S. men's national team being collectible. But but then again, a lot of people are hit to things I'm not. So soccer is interesting, and I'll bring up one more point about this. is interesting because it's an international sport. Most of the fans are international, but the hobby is mostly a an American hobby. There is very, very strong uh, collectors and a strong fan base in different countries, obviously around the world. But for the most part, sports cards are a pretty American hobby. So I think the success of soccer actually depends on the international market and how much do people in Europe and uh, that part of the world get into it. Um, And if there's a large influx of collectors from uh, Europe or from other countries that are big soccer fans, 
then I think soccer has a massive upside. But if it's dependent on American people just getting more into soccer, unless the men's team does something surprisingly awesome, I, I don't know if that happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, Americans though, it feels like are hungry for soccer. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I think it depends on how many fans actually watch the sport. So let's, let's, let's see where that goes. Now I will say one thing that um, I want to bring up just because we're talking about 2022 and where my mind's been a little bit over the last week um, as I've gotten into uh, the NFT and crypto market. And the only reason I talk about it on the show is because I think sports cards have opened my mind up to the collector's mindset. And I think collecting is really interesting. And I do believe uh, there's a really interesting kind of parallel to that and what is going on in the crypto world and, and the NFT world. And I think sports cards will be part of that world. Like I do believe um, we'll have sports cards, digital sports cards. I think we'll have sports cards minted on the blockchain. I think that will all, I think that'll be part of a future market for sports cards. So I do are think you, it's relevant. Are you actually putting money in the NFTs already? I am thinking about it. I haven't actually bought an NFT yet, but do I want to? And have I done a ton of research when I was bored this weekend when my wife was not here and I was literally sitting in the dark in my office and doing anything else? I was I was in a deep, deep, deep rabbit hole in the NFT market. And I do you understand it. So did you lose power? Why were you, you were just sitting in the dark for fun? I was there so long that it got dark and I never turned the light on. <laughs> <laughs> Except my lamp. <laughs> and I have listen, my computer screen, so I don't really need any other light. I guess. Listen, if it ever gets that bad again, call me. Phone a, <laughs> phone a friend, Amil. Phone a friend. Bro, I was in deep. I was in deep. I couldn't even get up off my seat. So um, I, that's, that's where my, my mind has gone there a little bit. And it has opened me up. I will say I thank sports cards for any introduction to the NFT market because I don't know if I would have understood the collectability side of it if if I didn't already collect something like sports cards. Um, Which makes sense. Yep. Almost like the Beanie Baby thing. Like, like you probably were able to appreciate this Beanie Baby documentary. Yeah. At a, at a different level than maybe someone else. I'm not saying a higher level, but at a different level because you are in the collectible space already. Yeah. I collect. So I get when people go crazy over a quote unquote collectible. Uh, it, it doesn't sound as crazy to me when that happens now. Um, but we'll see. NFTs are really hot right now. I most likely wait for some sort of correction that ends yes. up happening and then go in. But I do think that if you're at all interested in the market, I do think right now is the time to 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 take a deep dive into the rabbit hole and see where it takes you. Uh, and that way, if and when a downturn happens in the NFT market, like that's when you've got your 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 I'm ready to go and the projects that you want to jump on. Like you know what I'm saying? Like if a bored ape got really cheap one day, I'd be like, yeah, cool. Like that's like the top project. I will buy a bored ape. You know what I'm saying? So. It, but that's the research you have to do now before that sort of opportunity presents itself. But so can't can't anyone just create an NFT? Can't can't we create an NFT? Can't we create our own? I've thought board about board? it. I've thought about it, and I do want to create Slab Talk NFTs um, if it makes sense. And if our followers, if you've made it this far, and you want to comment in the in the comment section, if that's something you'd ever be interested in, but I do think it would be interesting, like. There's a real interesting piece of NFTs and smart contracts and as content creators like and creating community, that would be a pretty awesome way to create community in a way that we don't have to go. It's it's a way for our fans to support us. We would put all that money back into creating more cool content, you know, uh, potentially bringing people together in an actual physical way to, to meet and do stuff and to, to, to be part of that community in a more uh, impactful way um, to do more one offs live Q&As, that sort of thing to people who have NFT. I, I think NFTs are really interesting and I think they make a ton of sense and I do believe they'll be a big part of our future. So, Wow. Yeah. And you know, I mean, 
I'm usually very middle of the road with stuff. You know, I'm I, I'm Switzerland in almost everything. I'm very neutral when it comes to stuff. So I'm not someone that's quick to write off anything that I just don't fully understand. And I'll be the first to admit, I don't fully understand NFT because I feel like I do have a grasp of what, what NFTs are. And I don't really see the big deal in them and why people are actually spending money on them. So that tells me there probably is something more I don't understand. So with that being said, I definitely like to sit back and, and kind of be a sponge when it comes to this. Um, I'm definitely not going to be at the forefront and go down a rabbit hole, though. I'll let you I'll let you run over the hill and tell me if, if the Russians are coming. I'll let you know. Honestly, I will you can have, take an arrow. Yeah, I, I will. I'm down to do that. And, and honestly, I've told myself, like, if I'm willing to put some money into it, just put a little bit of money into it. Even if it goes down, it goes down, but it gives me a reason to start even researching it even more if I have some skin in the game. So that's kind of how I got into sports cards was buy something so that you just feel like you need to. That's how I got into crypto was even though I don't fully understand it, put some, put a little bit of money that you're willing to lose. doesn't mm -hmm. need to be a lot, but that way it forces you to learn it and uh, it forces you to really understand it. But if anybody's out there saying that they are not, they don't believe in NFTs and that you haven't done the research... Just like, don't do that. It, it, you're, 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 you're giving yourself a disservice. I do think NFTs that have utility behind them have actual value to them uh, besides just the quote-unquote art piece of it or the collectible piece of it. That I don't understand, and there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of shitty NFT projects out there, but um, I do think that there's going to be a lot of utility-based NFTs that do very, very well. So, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think in 2022, I think it's safe to say that we will probably have a better understanding as to the NFT market. And uh, that will either be do we run toward it or do we run away from it? And uh, I don't think we're not the kind of podcast I think where you're going to get any like super hot takes. So I'm like, yeah, I'll chill. I'll sit back and I'll, uh, you know, and I'll just kind of see what it does. But I'll give you a hot take or two at some point. <laughs> absolutely so so yeah man definitely excited for uh 2022 um you know when it comes to national i, I would imagine because um i'm gonna have a newborn baby at home i would imagine i'm not going to be going to national for the full five or six days but either way i know i'm probably going to coordinate when i go with when you're going to be there and i know we're going to be doing something awesome from national we have no idea what i know we've briefly discussed it but we will definitely do something cool um I would love to be able to go there uh, and be there for trade night. I did trade night last year. Were you at trade night last year? Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh my God. Wasn't it insane? Oh, it's the best. It was insane. Like there was, first of all, I got there right on time. Maybe I got there 15 minutes after it opened and there were no drinks, no snacks and no chairs. Everything I, got, was I got there like an hour late and it looked like, it, it looked like a tornado had hit the concession stand. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing was there, and I, yeah. I couldn't believe how crazy it was. Most trade nights take time to, like, get started. This one was full-fledged from minute one. So Yeah, yeah, and it was just unbelievable. So um, I know the big thing for us this year, I would imagine, is going to be national. And, like, what we're going to do, we're definitely going to – have a great freaking time. I'm sure we're going to uh, be filming. I'm sure we'll probably record something. We'll do an episode from national. I'm sure we'll line up. I'm sure there'll be appearances from people that people know in the hobby. It'll just be a great time, man. I can't wait. It may also be the first time me and you meet in person, right? I Hopefully know, it doesn't take that long, but it may be. I know. I know. Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, Going to Texas, man. Texas is like you guys have your own laws down in Texas. You guys are like a different. <laughs> I'm not proud. I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of the laws in Texas. Listen, you guys in Texas, you're almost like uh, almost like Florida. Now you're not as crazy as people in Florida, <laughs> okay? Because every every insane story in America starts with in a Florida man. You know, yeah, or, right, 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 right. <laughs> and yesterday's news, a Florida man decided to, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no. Uh, so it, it's probably going to take you coming to the East coast for us to, uh, for us to meet, but that almost happened, you know, with you going to your buddies. Did you say that, are you going to make up that trip? Are you coming? Yeah. yeah. And because my best friends live in New York, I'm honestly going to be coming to New York a decent amount. So we'll, we'll link up for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We'll link up like sausages. Yeah. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, man. Uh, awesome. Def- definitely looking forward to 2022. Uh, uh, definitely have a lot in store. It seems like you're going to be kind of, you're gearing up for hopefully what's going to be a huge purchase at some point. You're dabbling in NFTs. I'm absolutely going down the vintage rabbit hole. But at the same time, is like you, you're like, I'm not just going to acquire a ton of vintage to acquire it. You know, it's like I'm looking at big vintage pieces. That's that's kind of like my thing, I think. And uh, and also looking to consolidate. I think it's going to be the story of 2022. I think 2021 was slightly a freak out with the market kind of coming back to, to, you know, coming back to where coming back to earth a little bit and us figuring out what the next kind of year the hobby looks like. And I think that's what 2022 is about. It's going to be about kind of building a new normal, new kind of community of what sports cards are for the long term. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful time for cards. So, and uh, let me, let me just say this. Um, So I know that, you know, I think most people that are seasoned, right, they either want, you know, it's it's rookie cards or they want short prints or they want uh, numbered, you know, they want, you know, base. No one wants base. Everyone's like base, blah, blah, blah. But base is a great entry point for people. So if you're new to the hobby, base is a great way to truly dip your toe in the water. It's almost like wearing a life jacket in the ocean, right? Like if you're not sure of how to swim and you're just kind of learning your way, like dabbling with the base cards or is a great life jacket. But I had a gentleman come up to my table yesterday in Springfield, Mass. And he came up to me and he bought out my entire case of Brady and Mahomes base cards. Hmm. He told me, he said, listen, he, he was looking at my case. He said, if I were to offer you, if I were to buy all of your Brady and Mahomes that are like 75 and under, they were all PSA, BGS labs, you know, he goes, what percentage off would you give me? I said, I'd give you a third off. I said, I think I'd give you a third off the sticker price. I said, wow. I, couldn't do, I couldn't do half, but I would do a third. And then he goes, Sounds good. He's like, I want that. No, he goes, do you mind if I just lift up the lid? I go, sure. He lifts up the lid, starts picking them out. Boom, boom, picking them out. And sure enough, he walked away with about 20 slabs, all base cards. Nice. Uh, hey, man, everyone's doing a little, something a little bit different. That's exactly why uh, there's a lot of fun to be had in the hobby. And I think you're right. I think base cards have, uh, at some point, will be worth it again because they're going to be very cheap. Uh, and that makes sense. That's where base cards probably should have been. And then they'll play in a range where they oscillate uh, between a certain price point. Um, and that's going to be the fun part of base. So maybe that's when we have a little bit more of a player currency type of feel when yeah. it's actually affordable. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, listen, Amel, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, seeing where the bounce brings us in 2022. Shout out to, uh, you know, your brand, the Slab Talk. It's been uh, unbelievable. The The feedback we've been getting from the show has been great. We love it. Um, so just definitely try to share on on social media share uh tag us and post do all that good stuff get the word out subscribe tell a friend to tell a friend uh it's all appreciated absolutely love it follow us on instagram hit that subscribe button on youtube leave us a rating and a review on podcast really appreciate everyone tuning in 2022 is going to be a very fun year thank you and good night (laughs) 